three, two, one. Anthony Darby. Chuck Hen. We have a very special guest, Brian Myers. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be on here today. Full disclosure, this is my first podcast. So. <laughs> Awesome. Perfect. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Awesome. Uh, it's, it's something that I actually have a couple more lined up. So this is going to be like good. a good, let's see how bad or good I am. So. <laughs> we, uh, I feel almost like a season better. Now. Yeah. I think we've probably released seven or eight so far. We recorded about five or so which is chuck and i to figure out what is it like mm-hmm. to get set up in front of and each time we do it something changes and there's iterations and we go back and watch the tape like damn i didn't speak loud enough or clearly <laughs> enough and yeah no it's so, it's funny when you when you get be in front of the camera you know things change right like <laughs> things you want to do don't exactly happen yeah. But I will say, I've actually watched a couple of these or seen a couple of these before. I think you guys do one of the best jobs of, of organic marketing and advertising your your company. Obviously, with the limitations in our industry, yeah. you, you can't necessarily put a dollar behind a post to help you know reach that. So doing things like this only uh, enhances your profile online and on social. So I think this is a great idea, and I think you guys are doing an incredible job. Yeah, I think Thank the you. value for us, I really appreciate that first yeah. of all, but I think the value for us is the fact that you're right. Like, it's great for, for us in our dispensary, but um, it's also cool because we don't have the ability to push the stuff out, and we're starting to get some traction. And I think it's because we're giving people behind the scenes, we bring people like you on, it's not really about us any longer. We've really lost our muster at this point. It's all about the guests that we bring on. Sure. And, um, you know, like we, so what you're going to hear today is you're going to hear Chuck and I's background, what it's like to run the dispensary and then someone who's providing solutions to the industry and, and, and really solving challenges in a huge way to make us be able to better serve patients. So try to set a little foundation here. So, um, Another cool thing is Brian and I, Chuck and I, this is the first time we've actually met in person. So, um, but Brian is from Salisbury, something that, that Chuck and I don't even get to to claim. Yeah. Although I, I love this great town and I plan to live here forever. Um, I'm not. I'm a come here. I'm not a from here, and that's a designation that, that you get the, the title that you have. So you grew up in Salisbury, right? Where'd you go to high school? Yeah, so born and raised in Salisbury, I grew up on the Wicomico River in High Banks. Yeah, so right near my favorite Ferry. One of one of the coolest neighborhoods because it wasn't too big, so everyone knew each other. All the kids hung out. Felt like everyone had kids around the same time, so I was always outside playing with the neighbors and so forth. Uh, went to Salisbury School for till about third grade, so got that private school life. Um, but you know, I, I don't know if it was my parents or it was me. I just wanted more kids you know being around and so forth so did you play sports yeah i played sports uh when i was younger i was really into soccer um you know some of the standout soccer players in my like age group that came out of, of salisbury i played with them same with lacrosse basketball and then um went to north salisbury and then went to bennett and then ended up at parkside for high school and so i was there uh graduated in 2005. that's awesome so a few years younger younger than us. And then where'd you go after Parkside? Yeah, so uh, I love Salisbury, but it wasn't like uh, I was I grew up on the water and um, you know, went to Ocean City, got into the whole surfing thing, was a lifeguard on the beach there for several years and really just was uh, I love the water. And um, you know, one of my dreams in life was to to live out in Hawaii. And so I'm a very independent person. And so I convinced my parents to allow me to go to the University of Hawaii for my college education. And I couldn't have picked a farther place from Salisbury. 
but honestly, that's the way I like it. You know, I, I like to do my own thing, to try new things. And I'm again, I'm an independent person. So, you know, I love my family, but it's okay if I only see them a couple times a year. Right. So that was kind of my mindset. And so I, you know, got up and left Maryland. And honestly, I didn't really have a plan on ever coming back here, which we'll get into how I ended back up here. But, um, you know, I will say uh, Salisbury's changed a lot over the last couple of years. That is for sure, right? Um, Mayor Day, who I know quite well, has done a fantastic job, him and his team. And uh, just driving in this morning, just all the, the road work and, and the building that's going on downtown. And I know that you guys have the uh, Salisbury Folk Festival uh, in September, which is going to be uh, really exciting, which I hopefully will be able to make it down Salt here. Right now, it's the U.S. Softball Festival uh, Wednesday night. I come downtown and there's a, a parade in the middle yeah. of the street. I mean, Jake has done a phenomenal job. Salisbury is really on the growth. We have a new amphitheater as you're Saw heading that. out. And um, he wrote us a letter of recommendation four years ago when we were doing this and believed in us and has always been very supportive. So shout out to, to Jake and, and his regime uh, and the process that progress that Salisbury's making. So go ahead. Uh, where did I end off? So um, I went to University of Hawaii. Got into, uh, you know, went out there to school, but still was going out there to go surf, do all that. Um, really, at the end of the day, it was such a, an amazing experience from a culture perspective, uh, because a lot of what we deal with today with, you know, the racial issues, the diversity, inequality, like out in Hawaii is a, a white Caucasian, like you're, you're not the dominant race. And so you very early on need to be able to understand and respect other cultures or else you won't be respected yourself. And Especially so, as a surfer out there. Yeah, right? yeah totally. Yeah. Oh, like, God. That's got to be a harsh environment, like in right? the lowest of the pecking order, you know, a white Caucasian guy <laughs> coming out to the lineup and just like, you know, so many times that people just look at me and just shake he'll their head. Gone, he'll, like, be gone, he'll be gone. He'll be gone. Like, yeah. get out of here, Holly, Holly. And I was like, oh, my God, I just want to catch a couple waves. But, um, no, it was, you know, being outdoors right like I was never inside so I was hiking up mountains I was body surfing surfing you name it and then I was kind of getting burnt out from the whole surfing thing you know I love to surf but that's really all I was doing and so I just walked down to a local outrigger club so in Hawaii it's similar to how football and soccer and lacrosse are here like outrigger paddling is their state sport and so there's clubs everywhere from like three years old all the way to 80 years old you know everyone does it and I just went out, I just went down there one day after class, I was curious and see what this is all about. And immediately was just hooked. And it was very like team oriented, very family oriented. And it just brought a whole nother perspective of what I could do on the water, which really motivated me even more than I was before to be a waterman. So an hour gear club's a canoe club, I yes, guess, correct? Yes, canoe. There's different okay. types of paddling. Yeah. Uh, you know, most people know me now as a stand-up paddler, which I'll get to, but from an outrigger perspective, there's different, there's six man outrigger, which is how I started. So there's six people in a canoe and it's all about timing and efficiency. It doesn't matter how strong you are as a paddler. It matters if you're in cadence with the person in front of you and behind you, because you could be the strongest paddler in Hawaii, yeah, yeah. but if you're not in sync with the other people in the boat, like you're not, you're not going anywhere. As strong as the weakest link, yeah, right? I've always been like, you know, uh, I've always been a team, team guy. Like I love the team feeling even in business, like that's what I strive to, to find. And, and so that was really how I got connected with Outrigger Paddling. Um, so not to go too far down the story because it is super complex and, and really awesome. But the reason I came back to Maryland is because I was adopted as a newborn. And so my birth mother was at Salisbury University as a freshman and uh, ended up uh, getting pregnant with my birth father who was still in high school. 
And so he ended up, she ended up having a baby her freshman year at Salisbury. And, um, you know, for her own reasons, which I, you know, won't talk about because it's, it's all positive. But, you know, she gave me up for adoption. Uh, lucky enough, my parents or my parents that raised me, my dad was a cardiologist at Peninsula Regional for over 20 years. And my mom was a nurse at the time. And everyone knew at the hospital they were looking for a kid. And so when my birth mother gave birth to me, uh, you know, one of the nurses that worked with my dad saw me in the infirmary and was like, hey, you got to come down here. You got to see this kid. Like, I think this is the one. And like, not even kidding, within an hour, like I was home with him. That's crazy. And it was a very open adoption, very yeah. surreal experience. But I was raised well. You know, again, I was raised here in Maryland and my parents that raised me live in Northern California now. But uh, after graduating college, my mom came out to Hawaii and we were just sitting on the beach drinking a couple of Coronas and she just dropped like, hey, you ever had any interest in meeting your birth parents? I mean, I've thought about it, but I was always raised well. So it was never something that was like, hey, like I want to do this or hey, like I hate my life. Like I had an amazing life. And so, you know, funny enough with how technology is nowadays, uh, I knew um, I knew who my family like it, they knew who who she was, her name. So I just looked her up on LinkedIn and, and found her very quickly. And I remember I was working at a restaurant while I was in school and I had to go to work that night. And I had found her on LinkedIn and I saw her picture. And she's just like platinum blonde hair. And she's just like, it was just very like close up face picture. And just kind of, it freaked me out. I was like, yeah. oh my God, it's my birth mom. And so I went to work and lasted about 30 minutes and was like, hey, I got to go home. And went home and just stared at her picture for like an hour. And then uh, with LinkedIn, how it still kind of is today is like you can only send like a quick message to someone if you weren't friends with them. So within like a sentence, I had to describe who I was, what my relationship (laughs) with her was. And why she should contact me. And so I was basically like, hey, my name is Talk about elevator pitch. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was a great uh, learning tool for for, uh, cold business business, emails and and messages and such and so forth. But um, I was basically like, hey, my name is Brian Meyer. You gave birth to me on 5787. Uh, You know, please reach out. I would love to connect with you. And uh, she did. So long story short, got to meet her, got to meet my birth father. after meeting both of them and their families, I realized like, oh my God, I have all these people that I don't know that I'm related to. You know, as a curious person, uh, I basically dropped everything in Hawaii and, and moved back to Maryland in uh, uh, the winter of 2012 and took a couple months just to meet everyone. And Are they, where, where do they live now? Yeah, everyone, well, so they both live in Annapolis and uh, most of the family is from Clinton, like Southern Maryland area. <laughs> deep-rooted families and yeah just so what year is that that you come back to maryland so i was in the winter of 2012 so it was january i shipped my truck from hawaii to oakland flew to oakland and then drove my truck across country uh in about three days to maryland and what did you go to school for Besides surfing, and yeah, yeah. And, uh, surfing and Corona is a little right? Time in college too, right? Because yeah, look, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll tell you straight up, like I wasn't a school person. Like I, I'm smart, but I'm I would call myself more street smart. Like I, I've taught I, I, myself a lot of things that I've learned in life. I put myself in the same boat. So um, 
shoot, where are we going with this? Um, uh, what you did in school. Oh, yeah, yeah sorry. Your, your track. So when I was in school, you know, I really it was big into sports. Like, I was always a big sports nerd. Like, you know, I watched Sports Center back when you could watch, like, four hours a day and it would still be entertaining. And I always, I always knew I wanted to work for a professional sports team. Like, that was my dream. And uh, so I went to school for sports marketing, except they didn't have a sports marketing degree. So I figured out that there was, this was new back then, it's oversaturated now, but there was a program called Interdisciplinary Studies where you could essentially create your own major. I think my brother actually did that too. Yeah, so there's a couple of things I- surprised me at all. Yeah. <laughs> there, were, there were a couple of things I did want to do in life and there's a couple of things I didn't want to do in life. And the didn't want to do in life was take chemistry, take statistics because again I naturally wasn't smart in math and science and saw the uh, just saw how difficult it was for my friends like all right I know I don't want to take those classes and I know I want to take these classes so I was able to figure out how to create a major without taking those pre uh, like elective classes that you know you they make like they make you take that's amazing I uh it's funny like I I sympathize with that so much I took rocks for jocks to get my science class I took astrology yeah I'm learning most skill of hardness you know stuff is super gonna help me yeah. later on in life and uh, I wasn't a business major because I didn't I wanted to avoid a lot of the math and statistics and college algebra that's what kind of led me to be a poli sci major it's awesome. So where did you go to school? Salisbury. Salisbury. Okay, so both yeah. of you went to Salisbury. Yeah, we both you know each other when we you were roommates. Yeah, so we were roommates in school. Yep. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Okay, so you create your own major. Yep. Uh, do you give it a name? Or is it just interdisciplinary? Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was sports management. <laughs> so did a lot of writing. Uh, there were some sports classes, a lot of fitness. You know, fitness is a big part of my life. I've always had different ways of staying fit, working out. So Are you that always, a tech guy? So I wasn't, I wouldn't call myself a tech guy in a sense that like I was a coder or I would get that into it, but I was always tech enabled that I always had technology around me and I enjoyed using it. So from a consumer standpoint, I would call myself a tech guy, but understanding how tech works, yeah. no, that's, that's not me. So is it, was it as blind of faith as I want to go see my family, I'm putting my truck on the ship and I'm going to drive over there and I'll find work because I can do that. Yeah, you know, work wasn't really on my mind. And honestly, just from the perspective of family is I was raised very well and I was living in Hawaii. So I had those two things going for me. And so before I went down that process, I was like, at the end of the day, the worst case scenario is they don't want to meet me or they don't want to accept me. And, you know, yeah, I'd be bummed out for a little bit, but then I'd go back to like, well, I'm living in Hawaii. And I have <laughs> yeah. a loving family. I'll just go back to my yeah. awesome life. <laughs> my life. So, you know, it was kind of like, a, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I was extremely fortunate. It was literally a best case scenario. I mean, everyone gets along with everyone. My parents that raised me have met both sides of my birth family um, several times. And the only bummer now is that my parents that raised me live in, in Northern California. Funny enough, related to this podcast, they live in a small town called Ukiah, which is in the Emerald Triangle of, you know, Northern California. And my dad still practices medicine. And so legitimately, I've figured out that they're the only family in their small town, which is actually called Potter Valley, that they don't grow cannabis. And I didn't know that when I first moved or first went there to visit. But I was always woken up at like six to seven in the morning by these dump trucks bringing soil up the mountain. And I was like, what are they doing? And then I was like, oh, got it. So it was definitely a different experience growing up in Salisbury and then going to see them 
because they live on 50 acres minus what we lived in Salzerich was like two with houses around us where you can't really see anything where they live and so it was, for them it's awesome because they're older now they want to chill out <laughs> have peace but for me it's like I'm still like want to do stuff yeah, and, solitude. Yeah. yeah so it's always uh, an experience getting out there I mean it takes literally a full day to even get out there so what was the first job you took or what was you know what was the kind of the strategy after you yeah so uh, when I first moved to back to Maryland I first worked at a uh, fitness facility actually in Edgewater called Parisi Speed School um, I'm not sure if you were familiar with that. It was like right next to, it's right near like Edgewater Fitness. But anyways. Um, no, I don't think it's there anymore. So I wasn't, uh, you know, fitness has always been a big part of my life. So I was, all, I was always educated on fitness and movements and things like that. So I was like, oh, I'll get a job here and as I'm still figuring out my new life. And so I did that for a couple months. And then I ended up getting a job at Under Armour Corporate as a seasonal customer service person. So answering calls and emails and, and people coming in or calling you know, for Under Armour stuff. And that was an awesome experience uh, because Under, Under Armour, their culture is amazing where it's like you almost feel Good like training you're- Yeah, you almost feel like you're in college again. Yeah. Every, there's a lot of positive camaraderie. Um, you know, we, we're working very closely with each other. And so that was a great experience, really like entry into the workforce. And then uh, shortly after that, I applied and got a job with the Baltimore Orioles in their marketing department. And that was a huge milestone in my life because it was always... That was a goal, right? Yeah. That was always a goal was to work for a professional sports team. And that was a great experience uh, in a lot of different ways, both positive and negative, because I went from Under Armour, which is like young, you know, not to say working with the Orioles, people weren't driven, but it was just a different culture. Like it just night and day and at the end of the day when I got there like I liked I enjoyed what I was doing but I wasn't able to challenge myself the way I wanted to and I wanted more uh, I wanted a sort of a different culture you know it's a uh, it's interesting how the workforce has changed as far as you know what you wear what you're allowed to wear so it's like a suit and tie and I came from Hawaii I've been on the beach my whole life the last thing I want to do is put, put a, a shirt suit and tie, tie right I'm a firm believer. It doesn't. It's not how you look. It's a how you act and, and how you produce. And so, um, right when I was with the Orioles, I started getting the entrepreneurship vibe. So, I don't know if you want me to end there. If you want to ask another question, you want me to no, keep no. going? Cool. Yeah. So, when I lived in Hawaii, I remember I got an outr outrigger paddling and moved back to Maryland. But I didn't really have outrigger paddling here. But that was right when stand up paddleboarding was really starting to take off. And so my family lived in downtown Annapolis on the water. So I was fortunate enough to be able to interact with water immediately and you know, started paddling, started competing in, in um, different local races. And there was already a few uh, water sport outfitters would do kayak tours and things like that. And I would always sit out there and be like, God, I bet you I could do that on the paddleboard, like run tours and do fitness classes. So again, no formal business training, but thankfully the internet provides you a lot of information went on there figured out you know what I need to do uh, how to write a business plan do all the stuff that you don't think about when you're creating a business but you have to do and so with the inspiration I know that all too well yeah exactly I'm, I mean we'll talk about it but <laughs> yeah. you guys deal with it on a daily basis but I uh, so my my birth Crazy. family really uh, motivated me to, to go after it because they were all entrepreneurs themselves and so you know 
I uh, ended up starting what was called, now it's called Capital Sup. It's a stand-up paddleboard company, now different types of water sports as well, in, in downtown Annapolis. And so I started that in the uh, winter of 2013, founded the company in 2014, uh, brought on uh, two good friends of mine. And so there are the three of us. And again, none of us had any formal business training, but it was right when social media was starting to get big, especially from a business standpoint of being able to promote your business online. And one thing we really knew how to do well is uh, drive community in and paddle. And so, and again, stand-up paddleboard is taking off. Social media is taking off. Small business, Annapolis is a tourist destination. People yeah. come to Annapolis to get on the water. Traditionally, you got, by, got some momentum, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. by both. So the yeah. momentum, momentum came together, and, and we grew the the company very quickly. Um, it was a hell of an experience. Like you don't get in the creating a paddleboard business to make money, but from an experience standpoint, I mean, I got a master's education right. in entrepreneurship, yep. and I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that yep. experience. And that's how I like to explain it to people. Um, long story short, there is uh, uh, this past uh, year. I ended up um, selling my shares of the company to my business partners, and they've now uh, taken hold of the company and are keeping it going. And I mean, it's doing better than ever. So, uh, and it's always about building a great team. And so, I've done a lot in my life. I've had a lot of successes. I've had some failures, but it it, it wasn't by myself. There's always a team, which I know you guys have yeah. a, a super strong team at Peninsula. So, so how do you get the TH suites? Yeah, <laughs> that's a funny story too. Um, which, which, which is where we first all kind of met. Yeah. Is when Brian was with TH Suite. Yeah. So the lead to that story is uh, while I was still at Capital Sup, we were in downtown Annapolis at a, a marina now called the South Annapolis Yacht Center, but it used to be called Sarles Boatyard Marina. is the oldest working boatyard in Annapolis. It's getting redeveloped right now, but uh, up, up until the last year, it was over 100-year-old marina and we were in the oldest building and so we transformed this vacant old building into this powerful energy source coming from the water which is why the owner of the marina let us open it but how thc got involved is because one of uh, our employees natalie um, who's a professional herself this was more of a, a side gig for her because she just loved us she loved paddling her boyfriend uh would always come and work under the marina pavilion and me being a curious person always wants to know who's who and, and what and so so I would keep asking her I was like hey like who is that what does he do and, and she was kind of timid to tell me I don't know why but eventually she did and she's like oh you know his name's Adam uh, he uh, he owns a, a grow and uh, dispensary in Colorado he does a bunch of other you know medical sales stuff too why don't you go chat with him immediately I was like oh I'm gonna go talk to him and so him and I developed a really strong relationship. Uh, I always love learning from people that have already made it to where I want to go. And, and he was that type of person. Super rad guy, too. Um, I'm sure you guys will meet him eventually. But I was always, the conversations got into business. I was like, hey, like, if you ever get anything interesting, let me know. Because um, the good and bad about Capital Sup, the good part is that it allowed me to have freedom to do other things because it was a seasonal business. Um, that also is a bad thing too, because then it goes back to kind of how you structure your day. Like I'm always juggling multiple things and it's something that I've adapted pretty well to, but it's not easy. And so in, um, the winter of 2018, so it was like January, he came, uh, approached me and said that he had, uh, invested in as a co-founder in a startup cannabis point of sale company called TH Suite. 
And so I kind of, I was immediately like, oh, I'd love to learn more and started out part-time to kind of understand what exactly I was getting myself into and saw a real opportunity to grow within the company very quickly because it was a startup. There was a need for a business development communications on-site person. Uh, myself being in Maryland, Maryland becoming a new medicinal market. I saw a opportunity there. And so I came on board with him. And did you have any ties to the cannabis? Like, did you use cannabis? Or you yeah, I mean, not really. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I've, I've used it every now and then. I don't consider myself a, a daily user. But um, it was just a super interesting industry. And, and at the end of the day, I like working with people that – I enjoy being with and what I've found in the cannabis industry is for the majority of people that I've interacted with are in it for the right reasons and like I like to use the word like cookie cutter I don't know if it's correct but like I feel like in most industries like it's it's too structured like I love freedom um, because there's so many different ways you can accomplish something nowadays and so this industry is all about being creative and all about finding solutions as you guys know And so that was really what attracted me to the industry. There's plenty of problems here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, so like TH Suite is a is cannabis point of sale company. They also build an ERP technology. For my research, you know, I've seen a lot of different systems and, and TH Suite is not a perfect system, but there isn't a perfect system because I will say, and it's hard for, it's funny because people that I go when I go to I have my medical card so I visit dispensaries talk to them interact with them and they always hate on the point of sale and I'm like I finally was like guys you gotta understand something this industry is like a sprint race we're all racing to the finish line to to try to be the best and sometimes we work harder than technology and and building technology I've learned very quickly is, is not easy and there's so many fine details in the core and it's just an example like one missed line of code can just jack up the entire system and, and, and then script your metric yeah script your metric and yeah. then so <clears throat> i guess we sometimes over like some of these things so if anyone doesn't know th suites that we talked about on our friday updates on facebook a lot we've tried to give them a ton of credit they literally were a savior to us because we originally had mj freeway and it's friday afternoon and our system crashes and we're locking our doors and there's 15 people out front and it was just the most embarrassing experiences that we continue to have with them our patient times were really really high as well um the data that we were getting out of there was atrocious was atrocious was un un, um reliable and for our dispensary is one of the larger ones in the state to make that type of a transition to change point of sales is probably one of the biggest nightmares uh, and fears that we had operating, but I can tell you that the transition from TH Suites was done in about 48 hours. Yeah. Like, it wasn't perfect, but it was great. Mm-hmm. And our patients now have a much better experience. Our leadership team is able to make much better decisions now because of the data that we're getting out of TH Suites. So, uh, I would be more than happy to recommend them for any dispensary yeah. owner. I mean, it's really been phenomenal for our business. And um, that's kind of how we, we first yeah. met was um, I know that you guys did a lot of work with Bob Davis uh, at High Tide, so I had heard about you guys through them, and then Mike Brenner and Salisbury say, hey, check out TH Suites. And for us, uh, we had thought that we went with the, the most expensive and kind of the Cadillac program, 
And so we were we were almost like snake bit in terms of when we were looking for our next provider. But it was great to have someone that was locally uh, in Maryland, and the platform is just much cleaner and nicer. So, so you're doing business development for those guys for almost a year. Almost a year, yeah. I mean, I really dove deep into it at the beginning of the summer. So that's when we really started going to market. So Bob Davis was our flagship dispensary in Maryland, and so he took the biggest risk because it was an unknown solution. He was opening a new dispensary. He didn't know what to expect. Sometimes we didn't know what to expect, but uh, – you know, although it wasn't a perfect experience, it, it was an awesome experience. And I think he would say that he made the right decision. Uh, I think one of the value adds of TH Sweetest is its mobility. So, for example, you guys have a different way of your uh, patient to employee experience and how you interact with them and, and how you take payments. So it's a little it's a little different than what the standard is, at least here in the state of Maryland. And so you need a solution that would be able to adapt to your workflow, not the other way around. And I think that was a great uh, selling point for me to dispensaries like, hey, you know, we can change our solution to base your workflow because everyone's not doesn't have the same workflow at the end of the day. So I know um, for you guys, that was a huge benefit with going for TH Suite. And I think that was like, from my standpoint, operationally, like that was the number one benefit because you're small and agile. Some of these larger POS systems have been around, so they're legacy systems and they were developed on these regulations and rules for states out west and they necessarily didn't work with Maryland. So when TH Suite came in, a lot of their system and their processing was built on Maryland's kind of stuff. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you guys ran or TH Suites ran from there with it, um, but that was a huge value add for us. And I will say too, and, and this applies to a lot of things. It's it's whenever you hear people talk is like to really grow your business, you need to be working on your business, not in your business. And I feel like some of these other point of sale systems, you know, are antiquated to the point of you're spending too much time in the business, especially with metric integration, seed to sale tracking. I mean, there's one thing that I didn't realize getting into this that I do now that the point of sale industry in, in cannabis is wildly complex to the point I've never even realized it and I went head first into it did multiple you're going to be married to a regulatory system yeah. if you I mean if you're in a bar restaurant point of sale system yeah there's a liquor board and yeah you gotta print out some reports and things like that but it's not this real life I mean I guess maybe controlled dangerous substances in the pharmacy world might be the closest thing to that like interacting with the CRISP website Yeah, but um, just think about how many integrations I mean metric is Maryland's right? MJ Freeway's others. So like each state's completely different because it's still federally legal. So like to tie it in individually, it's just hard. Yeah, a lot of them are trying to do both. Well, ultimately, I think that's to the point of sale companies. Unless you know, uh, what is it? I think the top five point of sale companies. So like Greenbits, MJ, Biotrack, uh, Coba. There's a couple others. They own over eighty five percent of the market, right? And from my experience, and I'm sure you guys understand this too, is it's, it's daunting to change your point of sale. It's not an easy experience. Yeah. There's a lot to be done. And so for these upstart uh, point of sale companies, uh, it, it's going to be hard for them to convert. And so they really need to target the new industries. And so what you're seeing is, and with TH Suite is that they're building out the vertically integrated component so they can touch all components of grow processing dispensaries. So I think you're really starting to see a lot of the companies start to adapt to that and then also find different integration partners that they can, you know, do online menus or ordering or, you know,
know, what we'll get into from the payment side of things. So um, it's interesting. So that's a good transition. Um, it's been well documented, if anyone's ever listened to me, about the challenges that we face from a banking standpoint, from a payment acceptance standpoint, um, and not just in our dispensary. I mean, we have completely transitioned our business model uh, for, we have Peninsula Holistics, which is, a, we make CBD tincture, we have a SAB as well, and we've transitioned our model because our website and our online payment process from a customer experience point was unsustainable. Um, we kept getting shut down. You know, I have a background in this, and I, I searched high and low for almost eight weeks to every high-risk merchant service provider that I used to know back in the day. And when I finally settled with Elevon, thinking, well, at least I, I know Elevon, you know, then in a slip of a hat, 7,500 accounts get shut down in a single day. Um, we were one of those accounts. Um, so we've transitioned away and are really focusing on a B2B strategy now. But you are and you have created uh, some solutions that are going to hopefully bring some ease to the hemp side first and then eventually cannabis. So let's talk about solvent, which is really your focus right now, right? It is, yeah. I uh, basically stopped everything I was doing in life, except my nonprofit, um, to focus on this because – Every, I mean, anything great's a full-time job, but this is like two full-time jobs into one. And so to really solve the complex problem of banking and payments, one, you need to have an amazing technology, you need to have an amazing team, and you have to have amazing and creative idea. And we have all three. So I already spoke about Adam. So he's one of the founding partners of Solvent. He also has another business partner, partner Jason, who runs the dispensary and grow and they have a couple other businesses too. They've literally probably done every type of business within cannabis over the last 15 years. So from an industry experience, they've seen it all. They've, they've seen they've it seen all. A they've lot. worn all yeah. hats. They've, they've Which, seen the worst. They've seen the best. And so from industry experience standpoint, uh, so that's our core team on that and that silo. Uh, then we have our technical side and so we have uh his name's tony richards our ceo and, and nikki rogers who we call her vp of experience but um they formerly owned a company called pilster digital both of them should be working at like facebook or google be making a half mil to a million dollars a year because they're that brilliant but they chose the path of doing it their way and so they've been running their own custom enterprise software company that. for the last 10 years and you know just as one of the highlight projects of Tony and his brilliance is he developed from scratch an entire CD, uh, ERP platform for the biggest trader vegetable oil uh, manufacturer in the United States. And he did it pretty much by himself. And it took him, a, a, I think it was like three years, but to build a solution from scratch to now where that company is selling it to all the big trading companies in the world. I mean, that just speaks to what this guy is able to do. So, what our true value add is from a technical standpoint is not only do we have the thought, but we have the internal action within all of our technology that is being built in-house with them leading that vision. And as one of the main reasons why we've been able to grow so quickly, we officially started this company in January. Now we've been working on this idea uh, a month to two months previous of that. And we like to solve problems and we're like, what are the most complex problems within cannabis? And from Adam's and my experience of going to TH Suite was, it was banking and payments. And so 
honestly, we started this company looking to build a merchant service solution like many other companies. And when we figured out that to build a merchant service solution, you can't because unless you build technology for the financial institutions, because the banks and credit unions that operate in the space that are legally allowed to do so based on the Cole Memorandum in 2014 that has red flag, red flag guidelines that basically state what you need to verify and validate to allow uh, to bank cannabis and to allow cannabis transactions. And so there are a lot of there are a lot of companies out there that have a banking compliance platform, which are great be, uh, because for the banks it helps automate their uh, due diligence, their KYC, uh, their onboarding, their government reporting. So if if you've never owned a business or never tried to get merchant services, even if you're Johnny Sub Shop, um, the process is typically going to be a four to five page application. Um, they are going to run your credit. They're going to make sure that you're not on a terminated merchant file, that you've never been terminated um, from any of the card brands. They're basically going to, they assess your risk and liability to process payments. A lot of people think I just go there and I get my payment processed. Well, if you have really bad credit or you have risk factors that the bank or the underwriters are going to deem liabilities, you're going to pay a much higher rate well, they may take a percentage of your sales, what they do. They may hold anywhere between 15 to 20% of your sales. So for every dollar, 20 cents, gets put in this reserve account until they deem you to be, um, you know, a good customer. So even for the banks to process a traditional low-risk business, at the small business level, they still run a fairly high risk. Correct. And <clears throat> everything from these merchants getting in a pinch and running their family member's credit card to float the $500 to keep the electric bill. I mean, we've, in my background in merchant services, I've seen some really unscrupulous activities from small business owners, oftentimes in a pinch just trying to, to survive, but doing things that would make any underwriter at the bank cringe and, and basically not be a happy person. Totally. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest problems is just the underwriting experience and the onboarding experience because in the, the day the, the financial institutions need to verify who are the individuals I, leading the company and and what what are you selling and all the details that they need to know to feel confident in you as a business I, well i was just going to say so we have firsthand experience with this yeah. I would, I'd, let, i'll tell our story and then I, you i think everybody will see exactly where solvent fits in and like the need that it has in the industry and it is a need so like the first year we were in business, we were all cash. We didn't have a bank account. For the dispensary. For the dispensary. It was absolutely miserable. I mean, you got some cool photo. Well, I'm going to say photo ops, but like it was cool once or twice, but for the majority of it, it was miserable. You can't pay people. It's, an, it's difficult to pay taxes on time because they're all paid online. If you can't do that. You're lumping around. You're lumping. Lump some money around. Looking around over your shoulder. It's, you can't you pay Comcast. You're getting money orders to pay things. It's it's a job in and of itself. It's a full-time job for multiple people to run a business that only operates in cash. So fast forward, we're finally able to get an account set up. And it's not like we just went to the bank and applied for a business account. Um, and we were able to get it the next day. I mean, it was a couple month long process. And then here it is July. We're still in the process of integrating our business and our systems into the bank. 
Um, and the amount of information that we provided the bank was almost everything we had to provide the commission to get the application. I mean, it's a laundry list of due diligence. And I think that because they want to know where the money's coming from. If we're an all cash business, they need to know that it's a reliable source and the money's not being laundered, I yeah. guess. Right. And that's kind of where I think we're solvents. And then on the hemp side, solve it. We, we bank our hemp business with a, a small local bank. Um, we don't have uh, merchant services right now. We have like a little Square account that we can use for emergencies. That Square's not smart enough to point two and two together as long as we don't make a website. And um, and every single time that we have a new batch of product, we're required to send in our third-party lab results to the bank so they can help verify. But really, to be honest with you, the bank came to us and said, "Okay, we want to work with you guys. We've had a good relationship with with the bank for a long time." Um, they banked this pre-application for the dispensary, uh, but they, they basically, they had all these questions, like why is no other banks right, uh, taking your business? How do we regulate you guys? What do you guys need to show us so that we can show our auditors and we can feel really confident saying, yes, we have a CBD business, but um, here's, their, here's their batch lab results that show that everything is less than 0.3% THC. And um, the idea behind this is there was no automation process. There was no real guidance for the financial institution. Um, it was very much like the wild, wild west. And when I compare that to what I've experienced with a traditional first data app or a TSIS app, which is now pretty much a very quick process, everything is automated, fill in the blank PDF. Um, the questions are the square footage of the building. I mean, it's, it's the same information that every bank is going to seek, but everything now is automated. Nothing like that exists for really uh, a bank or financial institution that wants to bank CBD or CBD hemp or let alone cannabis, right? Totally. Yeah. And that's, that's where we come in. That's where solvent comes in. So we're already uh, developing that. We already have developed that for a, uh, several banks, one of the largest acquiring banks in the United States that takes CBD. But again, it's, it's the user experience for the merchant, but also from the experience from the bank uh, that it's, it's automated. It's all digital. It's seamless. It, it quickens the time to onboard someone because it, the banks are all about lowering their risk, right? So if you can provide technology that up until a little while ago didn't really exist because, again, this was an illegal industry, they weren't banking that, um, that now you're seeing all these technologies come about. And, and what we're solving is that underwriting onboarding experience, but also, you know, compliance gets thrown a lot around a lot. And yes, we do compliance, but it's more risk management. So our technology, not to get too far down the rabbit hole, and this applies to hemp, CBD, and cannabis, is when you have your banking product and your payments product talking to each other, you can assess in real time the risk profile for every single payment or every single dollar that comes into that financial institution. And our technology gives them that in real time that anytime if you were a banker to go on our platform, you can see what the overall risk profile is of that merchant or any payment into that merchant's profile is that like in january i did 34 dollars in sales in february of thirty-three thousand in sales and all of a sudden a red flag is up to my account because my merchant account's going crazy my bank account's going crazy and there needs to be some way to connect these dots correct but you could verify maybe that hey i just it was my first month of, <laughs> of going live and that's to totally to yeah i mean and integrated with you know from the cannabis side integrated with metric integrated the point of sales so we're getting that data um, from the, the, the labs, you know, we're getting the, uh, the COAs of product. And so we're able to not only verify who you are as a person, 
where you're purchasing that product, right? Is it, is it in a legal dispensary or a legal business and what you're purchasing? And that's a big thing that we're coming about now is like the product, how to verify the product at the point of transaction. Because our vision for the company, it's it's funny because you know we're in cannabis right now, but we're not a cannabis tech company. We're a financial technology company aiming to dissolve fraud before it happens. Right. So in cannabis, we're aiming to dissolve fraudulent transactions within cannabis. But overall is to be able to stop the criminal intent or fraudulent transactions or payments before they hit the institution. So solvents our duty to eliminate that risk before that money goes into the financial ecosystem. And so to do that, you have to build multiple products within one ecosystem so that we have a banking compliance product. We have an underwriting onboarding product and we have a payments product and they all speak to each other. And then at the bottom, we call it Ignis, which is our fraud and AML risk engine. So this algorithm can detect from different data points that we create based on the laws, regulations that can be changed anytime to again, assess uh, the risk profile of, of every merchant and every payment into the financial institution. So essentially we're mitigating all their risk. And so they've never had this type of visibility ever uh, to be able to work in high-risk industries. So, good. No, I was just going to say, and I think I read, there's a couple really good articles. I know Yahoo Finance had one when you guys got some seed funding. Yes. Um, and then technically, mm-hmm. I think had another good article. And it's just, it's, um, it's amazing to see that you are coming up with this technology. Well, I mean, it's like, crazy because the banks, I mean, that's why they're not doing it is because they don't know where the money's coming from, right? They can't prove it. Right. Well, that, and that's the thing I was explaining <laughs> earlier is that you have uh, a handful of companies that have a banking compliance platform yeah. out that all do similar things, some better than others, but that's one piece of the pie, right? I mean, that's a piece, but it's not the total piece. And then you have a plethora of payment companies uh, all trying to solve the payments industry in their own way from and, and a lot of them shady as the day is long right i mean there's a yeah i mean i'll just drop it right now there's a dispensary in maryland that openly miscategorizes their transactions because they have a a, a sub business in their dispensary business and if you look at your bank statement it doesn't say the dispensary's name so that's happening then you have you know gift card type payment systems you have closed loop electronic systems you even have crypto so yeah so uh, we get just a little shout out, uh, FYI, to our patients. Oftentimes, I'm, I'm presented with, how come you guys don't take cards? And my stance is, in our dispensaries, is none of the card brands, meaning Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover, will allow any type of a cannabis transaction on their platforms at this point. So when you see these closed-loop systems or basically these prepaid gift card type situations, they're, they're, a lot of them are either running through the debit networks and they're bypassing the four card brand networks, to my knowledge, or sometimes they're miscategorizing the payments, which is completely fraudulent. <laughs> um, so, uh, to be honest with you, these these are workaround solutions that are, are skirting the the laws and regulations within the banks and card brands. And until Visa, Mastercard, or Discover, or the card brands come and take a stance and say this is something that they're going to support, I don't think it's in our our patients' best interest for us to flirt with one of these solutions. And quite honestly, they almost always charge the, the patient at the end of it. And I, it's, it's sad because you see like a $1.50 transaction fee and you know that if they're running it through the debit network. It's probably close to like a seven cent bin fee for them, maybe 10 cents. And they're, they're killing it. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And they're, it's just, it's shady to say the least. And 
I have uh, recently got, you know, I took almost a year off of LinkedIn when I was just in the day-to-day of the dispensary. And it was kind of nice being a sales guy. I used to be in that thing all day long on Sales Navigator and all that bull crap. Mm-hmm. Probably for the last six months, from a networking perspective, I got back on there. And every day is a payment processor. Hey, I want to sell you my 1.59% cannabis processing, all legal. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, it's, you... So um, when I first heard of Solvent, um, actually, it's weird. So I saw some of your press releases come out, and then I was speaking at the Maryland um, Director of Economic Development Association, and you have some friends there in Startup Maryland that mm-hmm. were advocating. I mean, I don't, even, I don't know what I said. I think I said something about banking challenge and someone yelled solve it you gotta check out solve it go buy solve it um so that kind of put things back on the radar and you guys recently raised some seed money and did. things are, are moving well i thought it was really timely to have you on um because i was curious really from my background every solution that i've seen i've almost always been able to say that that's not really how it works sure. right but with yours it you guys got to understand another thing that's happening in every single boardroom at the bank right now is you have a one guy in a suit who's in business development sales saying, you guys have to let me bring on these businesses. They're doing tons of volume. They need capital. These are the, they're very healthy businesses. And then another guy with the glasses and risk management underwriting saying, we can't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you can satisfy the guy in underwriting and risk management and show, no, you can do that and we can make this uh, palatable for you in a way that no one's ever presented it to you. I think, honestly, I mean, I think that starts checking the boxes. I mean, some of the issues that we have are certainly from a regulata- regulatory standpoint, um, and Congress could do some things to flip a switch, but the market kind of does what the market wants. And if we can get a solution and actually lower the risk and make it more palatable for these financial institutions, whether Congress allows it or not, to your point, they'll try to operate under the coal memo and they'll try to do these things. I mean, Severance Savings is doing it right now and, and they're very um, they're very forthcoming with their under with their underwriters and forthcoming with their uh, regulators, I should say, not their underwriters, but their regulators and their board. And um, but we know of you know, I we took on a new vendor when did we take on our new vendor friend from the Eastern Shore? Oh, I guess two, two or three months ago, yeah. So there's other banks out there that are doing similar things. Uh, <laughs> and, and they said, Sweet please bank. make the check payable to a financial institution that's within 10 square miles, of, 10 miles of us. Really? Interesting. Oh, yeah, regular, no, it's... Uh, a regular bank that, that doesn't you know, participate in the cannabis industry. They don't have any cannabis clients, but come to find out, we got to write our check. That's yeah, no, I mean, Severn, you know, Severn obviously is one of the big banks... So they're one of two. The other one's Bulldog, yep. Federal Credit Union up in Hagerstown. They're, they're the two publicly uh, announced <laughs> yeah. financial institutions. And I've, I've heard a couple other names out there. But, um, you know, the interesting thing is is from a board perspective is more – I'm hearing more often than not the board is starting to get on board with this whole cannabis, hemp, CBD service in those industries because, one, it's a huge problem. Two, there's obviously – an incentive from a financial perspective for these institutions. And what's going to happen is that, you know, traditionally banks and credit unions, financial institutions aren't innovative. Like that's just, they don't innovate. And what's happening, not just in in cannabis and hemp, but just overall is that there's a a shift beginning with banking. And this is kind of off topic to cannabis, but related is if in Europe right now, there's a whole open banking PSD2 concept that's going to allow third-party companies like Facebook, like Google, 
to be able to intake money and basically be their own financial institutions. And so there's going to come a time here in the next few years that banks and credit unions are going to have to have a, a look in the mirror face conversation and be like, do I want to innovate or do I not? Because the ones that don't are going to have a really hard time keeping up with what's going to be happening here in the next few years. So the financial institutions that are taking, yes, a risk, but now that there's technology available for them to mitigate their risk to service these types of industries, they're setting themselves up for success because they're already going to get that innovative technology they need to be able to stay relevant in the years to come. And that's a bigger... So when I look at it, and I read through these articles, I think you guys even mentioned it uh, in some of them, is that like you guys picked a really big problem to prove the technology, right? Correct. Like you picked the cannabis industry because we all know that there's huge issues with banking and regulation in the cannabis industry. And if you could prove that that technology works and can solve the issues there, it's just going to build. And I mean, like you said, this is the new technology that you utilize blockchain and machine learning like that's where banking's going right well, yeah like, i mean look and it, with fraud right so you know microtransactions or chargebacks i mean these institutions are they carry 100 to 500 million plus dollars just off to the side and we call it war chest right because they know that that just because have, of fraud and chargebacks they're going to they're going to have to give that money out to someone so this whole our theory is dissolving fraud it's, before it's it happens. It's the archaic process, the chargeback process. Yeah. yeah. For both the person holding the card, chargeback is when like you dispute a charge. But like from the merchant standpoint, when they get this, like the fear of the restaurant Ocean City, and you know that guy came here, but he disputed his charge. I mean, you have to gather all this data, and you're a little restaurant in Ocean City, so you, you may not have a copy of the paper bill, and you may not have the full transition and maybe they tip differently than the number and you feel it was off a dollar. I mean, there's all these different things that happen, but the chargeback process for most of these institutions is pretty chaotic in itself. Yeah. So our vision is to be able to dissolve fraud before it happens. And so these institutions, rather than giving away their money is to keep their money that they can then use to help grow and become bigger and bigger. And that's, at the end of the day, what we're doing, but you're right, we feel like if we can solve the cannabis banking conundrum, the cannabis problem, that that basically is an amazing case study that we can then go to the next industry, any high-risk industry or any industry, really, to to be able to provide better risk management compliance uh, technology out there to help mitigate risk with payments and, and money in general. In your beginning case study, you mentioned a cool memo. Are you guys only focusing on medical, or are you guys looking at... Uh, are you guys are you guys focusing in Maryland? Are you guys all over? Like yeah, yeah, we're we're in Maryland, um, and we well, let me caveat by saying so we're very soon launching our CBD uh, compliance underwriting onboarding platform in parallel with our payment processing. So you'll be seeing news in the next month about that, um, and so we're working with an institution in California. Uh, we're also uh, working within the state of Maryland, and so dispensaries in the state of Maryland will be able to utilize our merchant service platform by the end of the year. Um, and so we'll have a conversation. For off actual of, cannabis, not just hemp, but that's for correct, medical yes. cannabis. Yeah, so we have uh, strategically partnered with one of the big middleware payment providers in the United States that has a technology that they don't use that... Uh, all they've been waiting for is the compliance risk piece that we have. And so we've gelled them together and they're creating a solution that is as seamless as anything. Uh, so you can walk into a dispensary and pay with any, well, it, you can't pay with any card. So AMX is really the only one that will not take transactions. But if you look in the fine lines, Visa and MasterCard have come out 
Really? And they will, yeah. yeah. The thing is, is people don't realize it goes back to my original statement: is the banks assume all the risk. Yeah. So if they're if the banks are okay. cool, why are yeah. banks? Yeah. It's not as the, the yeah. car brand. Itself. Yeah. It, if if the banks uh, accept the risk that they're taking on, Visa and Mastercard will allow those transactions. That's interesting. It took a lot of digging and a lot of phone calls and emails. Discover's the only. I've seen some recent talk about Discover really opening things up. They're they're kind of in so there's Visa Mastercard then there's Discover there's kind of tiptoeing yeah and then, also explain the difference and, so Visa Mastercard what they consider bank cards so um, if you get a Visa Mastercard it's going to have a bank on that card correct. as well um, but Discover issues their own cards American Express issues their own cards correct yeah and AMX is I mean they're they're kind of back here yeah so they're they've come out uh, yeah very aggressively. <laughs> We but I used, to, I used to work for American yeah. Express. Oh, really? Yeah, and we had a corporate card yeah. for our first probably nine months of business. It's still till September and we, 2018. I remember it. We, we went to lunch at <laughs> Backstreet Grill, and a lady came. She's like, "Your card's been declined." And I looked at Chuck, and I was like, "Well, that was fun." Yeah. And they shut down personal yeah. cards. My personal and card and the company card. And everything. Like, I've heard that story countless yep. number of times. So, um, so it's about the banks then. It's, 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 it's about uh, the banks, man. You gotta. So this is what we like to say. We, you know, our mission is we empower financial institutions to be the authority on identity. And what that means is creating a true transparent ecosystem for them that provides 100% visibility into what's actually going on. Because honestly, they don't know. And the reason why there's limited banking is because of the fear of the federal government intervening, right? Like this is a booming industry but it's one industry of many that banks credit unions support many of them don't want to support one industry with the fear of losing everything so the ones that have now committed to servicing this industry limited opportunity but it's costly and the reason it's costly is because there really isn't any technology well there is antiquated technology but a lot of it's being done manual process to where human resources are needed to perform those duties which at the end of the day costs money and so you are seeing very high banking costs and yes the banks want to make some money out of this but honestly a lot of that is is expense like they had to hire an entire new team of people to help manage these these programs so am i then are you then am i so if i'm wrong in my statement that mastercard and visa will support cannabis it's the bank it comes down to the issuing bank correct then are you guys the first ones to have and the only ones to have a solution or are there actually other folks out there that have different style solutions that have the approval of of thesis or first data sure um you know i can't speak about other companies are doing because everyone's trying to find their own way but i'll just say what we're doing and why we're able to do it is that you can't just build one product to solve this problem. You have to have multiple products and they all have to speak to each other because as solvent, we mitigate all the risk and all the transactions and money that comes through the bank. And you can't do that unless you have multiple products speaking to each other. And that's our value add over a lot of these other systems and why we've been able to penetrate this market so quickly is because we've been able to do that very, uh, very efficiently to go to market. Um, what do you expect the fee structure to be like similar to like a high risk merchant account? No, I mean, honestly, here's our, you know, obviously we have, we've built, we're building a company, right? But it's not just, it's not about 
for us, it's not about making money. It's about create solving a problem. And and so the our belief, and I, I can't tell you exactly what those pricing fees are going to be because we're still yeah. developing them. But we want to be the Stripe model. We want to be at two point nine and thirty cents per transaction. Are we going to get there right now? I don't know. But that's where our mindset is, because we want to create an opportunity for small businesses like yourselves to be able to have affordable merchant services. Yeah. It's a scalable model. You, I mean, yeah. obviously, if you come to the market with that pro, with that, uh, there's dispensaries like. Is I just gave you my whole diatribe about how come we're not going to put a pro product like that in our dispensary, but you change that and give us a safe product at a reasonable rate. And I'll tell you, there's a reason why businesses pay their merchant service fees is because people spend more money. They, they'd much rather be able to put some things on a and charge card. The ability to use an actual card and not have to carry around another fake prepaid and, oh, whatever way, kind of card it is. It's just like a normal business transaction. And, oh, by the way, now all that money is not sitting in cash in our drawers. In our drawers. Everything's electronically transferred. It's less money we have to count, less money we could lose. And, the, and I mean, just go, so, and that's the biggest piece, right? Is this whole money laundering cash thing. I think everything stems from there. We can't, I have some limited basic services at the bank, but I don't have a full suite of a business account. I can't do everything out of there. Hopefully that yeah, so technology that, like this should mitigate that. I can't get a loan. So if there's transparency. I'm call Alan, tell him, hey, it, if I can't do this, you need to call Solve. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, you're exactly right. It's not a just it's not, it's not just, just pro it's, it's yeah. not it's not just about payment processing, yeah. right? It's allowing you all to scale accordingly like yep. you would be in any other industry. So wires, loans, everything, everything. the full suite of services. Because again, it all ties down to knowing your customers, KYC. Mm. We like to call it KYC on steroids. Like it's the next evolution of KYC that then they, the institutions are empowered to be able to offer those additional services that allow in your business to grow and they're growing as well, right? More yep. deposits into their banks gonna allow them to grow. This is really strong. I'm really excited to see uh, the announcements that you guys make. And honestly, I'm excited to hopefully become a, a future client of, uh, of Solvents. So when you're you're not working two full-time jobs, because I know starting a business is basically, like, you know, 80-hour week is the minimum, um, you still do some cool shit for a nonprofit. So Yeah. Uh, so when I was with Capital Sup, we, one of our core values as a company, for-profit company, was to give back to the community. And so we naturally... Uh, was we're interested in working with the veteran community in and around Annapolis and also the youth uh, as well. Um, so we have three pillars. We have the veteran community, the youth community uh, that would be underserved and mentally disabled, and then also clean water initiative. And clean water really encompasses everything because without clean water to recreate in, we wouldn't be able to do the other two. And so, for example, in the veteran community, we have a program called Wakoa, and Wakoa is Hawaiian for Water Warriors. We have a partnership with Walter Reed Medical Hospital in D.C., and so men and women that are in active duty or in battle that get physically or mentally injured go through Walter Reed, uh, go through their therapy session, uh, sessions, and then they release them and start, and they bring them to us. And so we teach them how to paddle. We first started out in the pools at Walter Reed, and then they'll bring them to Annapolis. And this specific program are for men and women that are competitors that want to get back in that competitive atmosphere. And so we, as paddlers, are racers. So there's a whole like racing segment of paddling. And so we teach them and bring them to races so they now can get back into something that motivates them to go out and train for or to interact really with just the community of people. Um, so we do that, and then for the youth side, uh, we work with the underserved youth community in Annapolis. 
Uh, Sold him. I really like that story that I saw. Oh yeah. So yeah. in with Capital Sub, we're the the public housing in Annapolis is a couple of blocks down from where our shop used to be. And some of the kids during the summer, like, they have nothing to do. Like their parents just release them outside, and they just figure out what they do on a daily basis. And so a couple of them figured out, oh, let's go down to the marina, go collect some money, and then go buy something. So they would come down to the marina and and take the money from the cash boxes where people would put money in to grab ice. And at the time, you know, obviously what they were doing was wrong, so we called the police, uh, but they never really sat well with us. And so my co-founder, Kevin Hagis, decided to contact the Public Housing Authority of Annapolis and reached out to their program coordinator, youth program coordinator. I was like, hey, this is who we are, this is what we do. We'd love to interact with your youth during the summer and create programs and teach them how to paddle, get them out on the water, teach them about clean water. And so we're right in the middle of that right now. Uh, I can tell you it's it's become my new favorite thing to do is working with these kids because again, at the end of the day, they're just looking for things to do during the day. Yeah. I, I think you take any kid of any race, creed, ethnicity, and you don't give them something to do and they're gonna get up to trouble. Yeah. And I think uh, Chuck, I told Chuck the story when you came in here and Chuck was like, oh my gosh, we were hellions, we were kids and you know, Jake Day has done a lot of these types of programs, right? Mm -hmm. We have Doverdale Lacrosse, we have um, the Powell football team, we have all these kind of new projects really trying to say, hey, instead of just trying to police these kids, instead of just getting them in trouble for acting up, Let's occupy them. Let's give them some something to do that's going to get out some energy and build some camaraderie and maybe introduce them to some people that don't look like them, that are authority figures. And all of a sudden they say, you know what, maybe that 40-year-old white person isn't out to be a dick to me because I now have a relationship with somebody like that. Uh, these officers that I now saw in my community help them in and my little brother play football, now when I have interaction with them, it's not maybe a fear or um, this unfamiliarity, but that's Officer Jones, and I know him, and he's part of my community. It's about this building this community, right? Yeah. So um, when, I, when I read the story, was it the Capitol mm -hmm. that I read it? Mm -hmm. um, basically, you know, you had these challenges with folks um, – kind of not vandalizing but just taking advantage of your business and then the outreach and i saw the, the picture and the kids they're smiling ear to ear and you can tell they're having a great time and and now maybe they spread that that love of paddling to somebody else and i just think it's, it's that's a, the hope i mean we we ultimately want to provide a positive impact in their lives that they can continue on and remember and take to another person so there's that end of the spectrum but at the very least at minimum we're at least giving them something to do during the day so there's positive impact everywhere right there's nothing it's negative about what miss, we're doing right? right exactly um but overarching over everything is just the clean water component and so even here in salisbury like traditionally mid-atlantic cities around the water the water quality has been subpar and has been neglected for generations and now like you're seeing a more progressive movement to help clean the water because i mean having clean water can only make everything better right real estate value foot traffic downtown i mean just imagine if you could go paddle downtown in the canals in salisbury 15 years ago like there would be people walking downtown all day long but there wasn't like that, and the downtown and the area was really a ghost nasty. town, and no one would come down here and, and wastewater treatment plant was constantly having issues. I mean, the water we had some real, really bad water water quality issues, and Jake's done a good job of trying to make an initiative. But 
I think I was listening to NPR yesterday, and there was an, a, an initiative to try to make the Anacosta waterways swimmable again. Yeah. Right? And in my mind was like, you know, that's a huge, huge well, undertaking, right? But, like, it sucks. To, it's, it's sad to think that, like, my kids won't have water to go swim in. I mean, the Nanticoke, like, uh, Roaring Point and stuff like that because of all the bacteria levels and stuff like that, I mean, it's becoming less and less safe to swim in these smaller waterways and to think that like the only place a kid will ever get to swim is a pool is a really sad thought to me so i think especially on the eastern shore where the water is like our beauty and really one of our greatest resources um i think it's awesome that you know we there's initiatives are happening far and wide well i've met several groups in and around salisbury that are doing similar work so i think you guys are in, in good shape but, I mean, honestly, I've been swimming in the Wicomica River since I was a, a, a child. I will say, you know, I won't say it's the cleanest water in the world, but as long as it hasn't had a heavy rain the last 24 hours, like, I think you'll all right if you have a yeah. pretty decent immune system. But, yeah, it definitely can get better, and I, it's on its way. So, um, and so you have your nonprofit you work in, and you still compete a little bit, right? Yeah. All right, so back to, yeah, so I used to – stand-up paddle race professionally it is a professional sport um it's not super well known it's more of an international sport than here domestically but it's provided me an amazing experiences i've been to uh the caribbean i've been to tahiti it's kind of i like to compare it to running so you have your sprint style races and then you have like your 5k 10k and then you have your 30 mile 40 mile races so i've done a little bit of everything um you know one of the highlight races that I like doing and many others is called the, uh, it's called Chattajack. It's in Tennessee. It's a 32 mile paddle down the Tennessee river gorge. It's in Chattanooga. You start in Chattanooga and downtown and then you paddle 32 miles south and you end up in Georgia, I think it is. But, um, it, it's just a credit. It's, it's like with ultra running or ultra swimming. It's more about finishing and more about mind versus body. Right. Yeah. Because, physically like we can do it but mentally i mean it gets you, you it gets a little get tough i'm sure places yeah. yeah i mean you're 15 miles yeah. in and everything hurts and you're dead and all of a sudden you realize i there's nowhere around me <laughs> i still have 10 more miles to go well i really like paddling i mean for a lot of different reasons but one it it, it allows me to be by myself and allows me to get into thought processes that i can't yeah. yeah like i really do a lot of my best thinking when i'm in the water and that time is invaluable because i mean you know i'm, I'm married now i uh you know i have obviously a full-time career starting this company a nonprofit. like i don't have much time to myself and i do like my time to myself yeah. so you know being able to stay in shape being able to be on the water and being able to have uh you know an hour or two of just me and by myself thinking i, I is, is I love it. I know Chuck's, you know, when he moved to Edgewood. Yeah. Did you buy yours before you got there? No, yeah, so I bought my paddleboard, and it's just like a basic paddleboard for me to go out and mess around with. But, like, same, same thing, thing, man. Yeah. I love it. Like, I take it out on the creek. So we live in London Town, um, right off of the creek on the South River, on the Allen's mm-hmm. House Creek. So I'll take it out to the South River, like to the South River Bridge. And, like, I love it. It's a hell of a workout. Heck That's of why a workout. I like it yeah. so much, man. It's like, it's fantastic and i always say i'm gonna i just don't have the time like you said running these businesses and with two kids like i just want to find something and get back into it like that competitive like nature in me we just moved to leonard mill pond yeah your next door neighbor is bob davis right yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) we are 
And uh, I've just recently started getting out there a little bit and playing on a paddle board. And it is uh, my first experience was this is a, a, a really good workout. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It was a lot tougher than I had. Uh, I mean, everyone seems like they're just like carefree. But I mean, after you get out for a little bit, especially if you you know want to get into a rhythm and stuff, it's definitely a really, a really good workout. Um, but it's really nice. And to well, I think point. being on the water and having that sunlight on you, right? I'll just listen to the podcast the way here that they're like... You, Get 20 to 30 minutes of direct sunlight every morning before you start your day. Dr. Hoffman guaranteed recipe right there. Sunlight. Uh, I mean, that's what it's all about, being on the water. And paddling is a non-impact activity. So, like, running, like, you're putting a lot of impact stress in your lower body. Paddling is just all body movements, right? Not a high-impact stress. So, just going out for a few hours, or, sorry, a few hours, like, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes three times a week. You'll Real quick, back to the Tennessee race. Yeah, how long does it take you to do that? Uh, so it depends. On a stand-up paddleboard, I have done that race in about five hours and fifteen minutes. Are you breaking? Take like are you taking breaks and eating? Yeah, so I'm. Like, right, so there's different categories so, of people that do these races. So I, like I'm, I'm the type of person that's in it to win it. So I'm training all year. You know, it's I'm, I'm not saying I'm sprinting, but I'm going race pace for that wall. entire yeah. time. And then you have different people do different things, different reasons why they're doing it. And so there's people that are out there on the water for over eight hours. This year, I'm back in the outrigger. So I call OC1. So it's a single person outrigger, uh, much faster than stand-up paddle boards. And I did it two years ago and finished second. And I got four hours and 24 minutes. So my goal this year is to win the race and do under uh, 420. So that's the goal. We'll see what happens. It really, that's awesome. well, it depends one on myself and my training as in starting, yeah. you know, solvent free time is, yeah. is uh, <laughs> at a premium, it's right? Not there yeah, anymore. Just, yeah. uh, I could build my future and, yeah. and pay my bills so I can win this yeah. race. All of a sudden, well, the like, cool thing about Capital Sub, right, is a paddle company. So I was just always paddling or, you know, I had more, not that I had more free time, but I had more flexibility in my day. And myself and then Adam, who's been doing sales his whole life, like being in an office every day has been a learning experience. <laughs> and it's just like the amount of coffee, you know, you start oh. pounding and just, I always got to get up. Full, and It's full of like life killing habits. Oh, like crazy. Like, yeah, like bad food. Sitting down for most of the day. Nature, yeah. Tons of coffee. Well, you guys are in downtown Annapolis, right? So can't we you, are, yeah, we're can right you on stash the paddleboard somewhere and like take the secret lunch trip? You know, I, uh, I could. Uh, <laughs> I usually try to get out first thing in the morning or uh, afternoon, or I'm sorry, an evening. And so I'll either be out at like 6 a.m. or 5.30, or I'll wait to go out till like at 6.30 p.m. I don't like breaking up my day to go paddle, because depending on my type of workout, I might get too tired and then I lose focus the rest of the day. So I like to be, whenever I sit down, I want to be zoned in for that day. And then when I'm done, I'm done. done. And yeah. then, you know, obviously as, as you all know, you, first thing you do when you want to get home after dinner is check your emails, do all that, you know, work a couple more hours. But I've been able to figure out it's not easy. Um, you know, uh, it's funny. My my wife has pretty much known me the entire time I've had my own businesses, so she doesn't know anything else. <laughs> so she's used to it. But, um, yeah, structuring your day is, is uh, super critical. And if you don't do it right, and I'm still learning myself after years, it, it can really it, – you can get overwhelming pretty quickly. It's a podcast in and of itself. Yeah, <laughs> for all of us. Tell us, uh, tell us where, tell people where they can find you. Uh, give out Solomon's information. Uh, 
the good thing about this podcast is uh, it's got a lot of folks that own dispensaries and a lot of yeah. people in the industry that'll be looking for you. Yeah. So our website is solvent.io. And that's a funny story in itself is when we were going down this path when we created Solvent, solvent.com was taken and we were trying to buy it and it was for sale for like eight grand. And the day that we wanted to go buy it, the dude jacked the price up to like 75 grand. So we're like, <laughs> see you later. But IO is like the new tech thing now. Yeah. Right. So we're Solvent IO. That's our website. Um, we're on LinkedIn at Solvent, and then our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is all at Get Solvent. So that's the company. If anyone wants to check me out personally, my Instagram is underscore Brian Meyer. Same as Facebook. Uh, I don't dabble in Twitter, but um, I'm more. My life has been very visual, so I've always been uh, connected to Instagram and and Facebook. What's interesting because I'm a I'm I'm the marketer, communications guy. You know, I built Capital Sub off social media. So dabbling into the Twitter world and, and LinkedIn now uh, has been a learning experience, but a lot of fun at the same time because in our world, everyone's on LinkedIn and Twitter, not so much Instagram. Well, for you guys, Instagram and Facebook, because it's visual, right? You're selling product, but it's always a fun way to- uh, Are you guys able to uh, promote ads and stuff on Facebook? Uh, I, it's funny you ask that because I over the weekend, I started doing some testing and we- I haven't tried on Instagram and Facebook, but I got a Twitter ad approved and I got a LinkedIn ad approved. But I will say that I framed my messaging more based on fraud rather than cannabis. So very particular. And I know you guys have been dealing with that. When I was with TH Suite, I helped several dispensaries with that. But it's just, it's sad. It's a pain in the butt. I wish it was different because you guys deserve every right to promote your business. And again, this is just one way why you guys are one of the best because you're doing things like this to, to help connect to your audience. Thank you so much, man. This has been a great interview. I really thank you. And I'd love to have you on again yeah, in, totally. you know, a year yeah. down the road. When we sure. see really Even a couple things. months down the road, if you guys launch some products or something, come back for some updates. I think this is such a big issue for all of us in the industry. Like, Yeah, like, I, like I'm, I can't... I'll, can't tell you exactly when, but by uh, October, November, uh, we'll be uh, out in out in market with our. When you guys are out. Maybe we can do it live at PAH during yeah. the yeah. market. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again, Brian. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me, Thanks, guys. Brian. Appreciate it.